Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 to 14. Um, That's on page 1036 of the Bibles up the back. So that's Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 to 14. Blessed is the Lord God of of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time, to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance, because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Uh, my name is uh, Tim. I'm going to get myself situated and then I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to jump into Ephesians 1, some other Bible passages and also some big ideas. Let's bow our heads. Uh, Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence and may your word be our rule, uh, your spirit our teacher and your greater glory our supreme concern. And through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, well, at the end of uh, 2019, uh, the American Natalia Taylor was became briefly my favourite social media influencer. That means very little, uh, but for a short period she held it there. Uh, she was trying to build a brand. She was trying to get to that magical number of a quarter of a million followers. And she decided that the best way to do it was that she could take some photos of her trip in Bali. Uh, People love travel blogs and travel social media, so that sounded great. Uh, You have the picture of champagne on arrival. You have a relaxing in a bath. Why you're still wearing a bathrobe, I don't understand. Uh, You have calling in room service. uh, And it was fairly popular, and she got to that quarter of a million. Uh, But what really sent her viral a couple of weeks later was when she admitted she didn't actually go 13,000 kilometres to Bali, she went 13 kilometres to Ikea. Uh, And that is where she had taken absolutely all of these photos. Uh, She did it as a bit of a trick, and this is why I I like her. Because she said, it's less about what you do, and it's more about what people perceive that you are doing. So why would I pay to go all of that way to Bali if I could just geotag myself as being in Bali and I get all of the social media credit and I had to do none of the work? And I kind of love this because this is 
extreme version of the thing that everybody on social media experiences in one way or another. We all hit the point where we realize it's not actually about presenting my real life online. Never once have I been tempted to share a picture of me cleaning the hallway again because my dog vomited on the carpet. Never do I think, you know what, I'll take this picture of that spag bowl. My kids know Monday night is spag bowl night because I batch cook three kilos at a time. Uh, Instead, we post the golden sunset picture as we walk our dog and care for them properly. Uh, Or it's the fancy dinner with a thousand ingredients. The internet provides us with the opportunity to present our lives the way that we want it to be seen. And of course, it's easy to make it sound like this is just a a TikTok or an Instagram thing, but we realize that this is a reality in our everyday life as well. Uh, Yesterday, this isn't what my house looks like, but yesterday uh, we had people over for dinner. So guess what the kids did uh, with our mum, dad was away at work, what what they did in the morning. What do you do when people are coming over for dinner? They... We didn't feed them spag bowl, that would have been a good idea. We, cl- we cleaned up the house because we want to be able to say, we don't always leave bags in the hallways when the kids get home from school. There isn't always a mess everywhere. There isn't a, uh, you know, the, the piles of clothing waiting to be folded or things like that. The bathroom, the bathroom doesn't look like a mess and the bedrooms don't look like, you know, cattle live in there. We want to say, We want to present the idea that this is the way we live. Everything is neat. The chairs are in the right spot. We have it together. And our world is something that is either desirable or at least something that is potentially desirable. We love that affirmation when people come in and they say, oh, isn't your house so lovely? How do you keep it that way? Whether you're online or in person, we all know what it is to crave those likes. We crave the affirmation of people telling us that we are good or we look good uh, or there's something good about us. As I was preparing this week, I I read about a a part of our brain called the nucleus accumbens, which is basically it's the award and reinforcement part of your brain. Uh, It's the thing that can sometimes lead to uh, addictions and social media, they say, can become like an addiction because this is the part of your brain where you get something good and your brain says that feels good and your brain makes you feel good for it and then you want more of it. And uh, the research has shown that when people get on social media, those likes and shares actually make us feel good. It sets off that little dopamine hit in our head. And so what might start as a nice byproduct, you know, I, I share a nice picture and I get likes on my Facebook. It gives me that dopamine hit and all of a sudden, rather than sharing a nice picture, I'm thinking, What gets me more likes? What makes me feel better and gets me more of those dopamine hits? And that's not, uh, in essence, a bad thing because we love to be loved. And it's good to have people give us affirmation. Uh, But here is where the problem lies. Uh, We've never been in a place where there is more opportunity to connect with people and get positive affirmation. Uh, When I was in uh, fifth grade, our class got offered the first opportunity to have pen pals. Do you remember those things, pens, that you used to write notes with? Uh, And this is the sales pitch. I still remember it from fifth grade. You can write a letter to this kid in the USA. It'll only take a month to get there. And then if they write straight away, it'll take another month to get back. That means you could get six whole letters in a year where you are sharing with each other and you're getting positive affirmation. 
Can you imagine waiting two months for anything these days? Now, of course, we jump online and we can interact with people all over the world instantly. We've never been in a place where there is more opportunity to connect with people and to get positive affirmation from them. And yet the research says that we've never been in a place where people feel more socially isolated and more lonely. COVID was a great reminder of that for us. We still had all of the social connections that we could ask for in front of us on a screen, and yet people struggled deeply. How do we make sense of our genuine need for connection, the opportunities we have, and our failure to really find something meaningful? I want to think a little bit more about this. I want to think particularly about a couple of things the Bible says about it. And we're going to be looking at three important things. Connecting with the real you. Connecting with a God who knows you. And then finally, connecting with the new you. So two years ago, the world's most popular movie review site, Rotten Tomatoes, hit the headlines for a strange reason. And that was because somebody uploaded a review from 80 years ago. And for a very short period of time, the most famous movie of all time and the best movie of all time, Citizen Kane, was overtaken on its rating uh, for a short period of time by a new highly rated movie called Paddington 2. Now, I want to be clear, I'm not here to be a bear basher. I'm not saying that Paddington isn't a delightful feel-good movie uh, about the importance of jam sandwiches. But no matter how delightful the Peruvian Paddington is, You're suffering delusions of grandeur if you think that a a sequel animated flick can somehow take out the greatest movie of all time that has been considered that for almost a century, a century of scrutiny. I I kind of keyed with this story, though, because it reminded me that we all love to feel like we're maybe a little bit better than we are. I might only be a Paddington too, but I can tell myself that I'm that Citizen Kane. Uh, This is, of course, why you have that oft-stated statistic that 90% of drivers believe that they're better than average. Uh, We want to be good. We want to be uh, more than just the the, uh, average thing. It feels good to think that we are good. And culturally, it's the narrative that our world feeds us as well, doesn't it? Uh, There was the famous insurance agent uh, advertisement where they say, this is for the most important person in the world, you. Or maybe it's the self-help guru who tells us that uh, any other thing that uh, is difficult for us, that is really the inauthentic self. And what we need to do is find the real self. And weirdly, the real self is always in Bali or somewhere like that. Uh, That is where we can be our authentic person. We love the idea and it's the kind of thing that perfectly fuels our desire then to portray ourselves this way whether it's in social media or in other things, I want to be that kind of person that looks good, that is special. One psychologist coined the term for this, the curated self. The idea is that we can pick the best photo taken at the best time with the best light in the perfect place and then we can choose these moments and we can say, this represents who I am. We all curate all of the best, the prettiest, the most envy-inducing elements of our lives, and they are the ones that we choose to represent us. But of course, the problem in the end is that we often just see the curated uh, part of other people's lives. Uh, You know, I used to be happy with uh, my iPhone 3, but then I saw the other person with the iPhone 4 posting on that. I used to be happy when we went to the coast for a holidays. Then I saw my friend. They go overseas. That is what makes will make me happily, happy. 
the net effect is that, of course, everybody feels a greater level of dissatisfaction because we know that we don't look like our curated self all of the time, but we assume that everybody else lives like that 100% of the time. Uh, We're fed a particular story, we contribute a particular story, and everybody, both men and women then, have to try and uh, live up to that standard. And of course, part of the problem is that we're so committed to the idea of a life that is sunshine and roses that who would want to acknowledge that our life doesn't always look like that? And then it becomes a, a personal or a private shame or a private disappointment. But here is where I get to share the very best piece of news in the Bible that has the worst reputation. And that is, friends, that you are a sinner and that I am a sinner and that together we are all sinful and imperfect people. You can't even get three chapters into the Bible before the reality of sin comes into the Bible and the reality of brokenness is something that shapes the rest of the whole book. Now, the reason why this news has the worst reputation is people can hear this and say, well, if I believe that I'm a sinner that just gets me in a, a, a spiral of pity and woe and that we all end up in a pit that we wallow in, but I believe it is actually the exact opposite. The problem for us lies in the disconnect between our need to appear like we have things together, that we are perfect people, always 100% gathered and in control, and the reality that our lives are messy, uh, that our things are messy, that relationships break, uh, that we don't always live up to our own expectations, let alone the expectations of others. And so actually, our Christians understand that the most freeing thing that we can acknowledge is that we are imperfect creatures and that connecting with the real you is about being able to look beyond the curated self, even the curated self that we bring to church on a Sunday, and acknowledge that life is hard, that we are imperfect, and that this is true for all of us. A treatment centre in the USA recently coined the term filter dysmorphia, also known as Snapchat dysmorphia. The concept behind it was that uh, AI had gotten so good that people could go on uh, different social media platforms and the videos are always touched up or the pictures are always touched up so much so that you rarely see what somebody looks like. You only see the filter of perfection. And what they found was that some people were so caught up with this idea that they didn't actually want to look at themselves in a mirror. Uh, They would much rather look at themselves as a filtered person as well. Where do we come to when we are unwilling to look in a mirror and actually accept all of us for our our good sides and our imperfections as well? If the only way we can feel worthy of being liked is to present a curated self, then the problem is we will always be unhappy when the phone turns off and we're left with the reality. It's a reality for you and me and for everyone. So this is why it's such a good thing that Romans uh, 3.23 reminds us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's true for you and for me, but it's also true for uh, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. It's true for whichever Instagrammable person that you follow. Uh, They still deal with the same struggles. They still deal with the reality of the fact that they don't live up to their Instagrammable life and that no matter how people choose to present the world, how they live, the reality is that sin is real and that we are all broken in different ways. 
And there is nothing more freeing than to be able to look at people and to say, ah, this is true for me, I don't always have it together. But what wonderful, even more wonderful news that God knows this about you already. He knows you and me and everyone better than we could know ourselves. This is what Psalm 139 says. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You're aware of all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You've encircled me. You've placed your hand on me. The wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It's lofty. I'm unable to reach it. Stereotypically, when you start dating somebody, uh, the goal is, can I hide the crazy for as long as possible? Uh, I'm sure we've all been through this. Um, I don't want them to know that I can't handle it if all of the ingredients of my roast dinner are touching each other, so I've got to keep them separate. I don't want them to know that I do the smell test on my socks so I can get five days out of them. This is not actually true of me, I should say. Uh, We believe that the secret of a new relationship lasts in dialing down the weird as much as possible, and can I con them into being committed to me, then they can slowly find out. Uh, But by contrast, one of the joys of being married, uh, I think, is that you're able to accept that you know everything about your partner and they know everything about you. Uh, It's one of my favorite moments in um, A Good Will Hunting, the movie, where uh, Robin Williams is talking about uh, his his wife who died of cancer, and he said, really, the magic was all of the little things. Uh, I love the fact that I knew that she broke wind when she was asleep. Uh, you know, all of those little peccadilloes, the things you're individually embarrassed about, uh, actually make part of the whole. And when you actually own all of them and then you know all of them, there can be an intimacy in the relationship that you have. At different levels, we have it with uh, all kinds of different friends and acquaintances when we know them well. How much greater is it to have a God that knows our innermost being, who knows your thoughts before you've ever had them, It shapes the way uh, we see God when we understand that he knows us deeply. uh, Even better, he continues to relate with us. Uh, Another uh, movie that I love is a movie called Dogma. It was made by Matt Damon, who is also in Good Will Hunting. It's a story of two fallen angels, and they have the opportunity to sneak their way back in heaven because there's a new church that's opening, and when it gets consecrated on its first day, if they walk through the doors of the church, then they uh, technically get invited back into heaven. Now, from a a Christian perspective, it's a dodgy premise. It was enough to make the movie work. Uh, But it's dodgy because it's a classical example of what I'd call a, a mechanical understanding of God. Uh, If only if I can find a a loophole, if only I can find a way to trick God into giving me that thing that I want, then it doesn't really matter how I act otherwise, uh, I can pull that trick on them. If only I can show them that Instagram version of me instead of the real me, he'll have to welcome me in. Uh, But these uh, mechanical ideas of a relationship with God ignore the fundamentally uh, relational nature of God. If God knew us before we were knit in our mother's womb, if God knows us before even a word has come onto our tongue, he knows what it's going to be, then the idea that we could just fool him into a relationship is crazy. As if we could you know, just make some kind of picture of ourselves and he'd have to love us. Instead, God does know us. God knows us even more than our spouse or our closest friend. 
know, I could say to us right now, I think about that most shameful sin that you still struggle with today. And every one of you, I'm sure, something comes to mind and you might also be thinking, I'm glad that everybody else around here doesn't know about it, otherwise I might not be welcome here. Uh, But God knows your secret sin and yet this is what we hear in uh, 1 John. Love consists in this. Not that we love God because we have sin uh, in our hearts, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That is, God knows everything that you have done, the good and the bad and the ugly. And yet we see God's grace and mercy for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At our most unlovable, God shows his greatest act of love for us. He came to seek and save sinners. And this is what Ephesians 1, our passage we are looking at today, talks about. That in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of these trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly pours out on us with all wisdom and understanding. And that in this he makes known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together, both things in heaven and things on earth, in him. The answer to real connection is not to hide the bad things, and to hopefully show that there's a curated self that is acceptable, but instead to turn to the God who knows everything and yet chooses to love us self-sacrificially. It's such an an ironic twist, a a turning on the head of things, that we live our lives maybe in fear that our neighbour will judge us, and yet at the same time we're trying to impress them because we think if only they love me more, I'd feel more affirmed and then my life would be easier or better. We find ourselves trapped by this expectation of uh, we need affirmation from other people. And yet the God who knows us most deeply and has every right not to give us affirmation, he has every right to judge us for our sins, he is the one that we so freely ignore when he offers us the opportunity to be freed from that burden, to be freed from the need of showing a curated self, curated self and to be uh, new in Christ. We want from a world the thing that it can't deliver and we ignore a God who offers it freely. Freely for us, but not freely for him as he gave his one and only son. Where do you look for your validation? Is it from uh, social media? I can get some kind of likes or affirmation my life is good enough. Is it that subset of friends or family? Is it the boss or the workmate who you need them to tell you, you are doing more than average, you are great? Is there an ideal that you are slave to? I need to be this kind of person with this kind of status or earning this kind of money. Then I will have validation. People will tell me I'm good enough. Because friends, even if you manage to meet those ideals, the reality is there will always be another standard that you can hold yourself to. There'll always be another way to make ourselves feel less than. And the reality is we aren't good enough. But the God who is perfect in every respect offers you a genuine connection. And it's not based on a perfect look or the idyllic holiday. In fact, for the Christian, our acceptance and connection with God is based on our willingness to own the fact that we cannot accept it, we cannot earn it ourselves. Not because of what we have done, but because of what God has done, who his son is, and what he did for us on the cross. 
in him we've also received an inheritance because we were predestined. That means that God, from the very beginning, before you were even born, according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purposes of his will, so that we who have already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. We all hunger for acceptance. But real acceptance comes from accepting God's free and undeserved offer of forgiveness from his son. Of course, the good news of God's grace to us leaves us with that question, so uh, what now? So I want to finish off with just a couple of uh, brief suggestions of application. Uh, Firstly, in a, a world that is really obsessed with appearance of perfection and the curated self, Christians have a unique opportunity to be an open and honest place and open and honest people where we talk about ourselves and in doing so we advocate for a culture that's honest about itself. And the mental health campaign says it's okay not to be okay. The Christian doctrine of human sinfulness cuts through that cultural barrier that says that we have to present a veneer, that we have to be together, that we have to make things attractive. It sounds odd, but wouldn't it be beautiful to be the kind of church where uh, when we're having uh, afternoon tea a little bit later, someone could say, uh, how are you going? And you could say, uh, not great. And that that's okay. That you could say, I'm struggling with something and that somebody would get alongside you. That we could share the good times when life is pretty and it looks great. But we could also be honest when we've messed up and we feel a bit blah. Part of real Christian freedom is that we can be more honest about our imperfections It is wonderful for us to know, every one of us today, that you are more than your curated self. You are more than the self that you show to others. And that the God of the universe loves you at your worst. He loves you when you feel your least. And that you are good enough for him. So good that his son would die for you on the cross. Uh, the second thing that allows us to do is that we, uh, allows us to be free to pursue holiness. Uh, so long as being good or beautiful is a means by which we gain acceptance, the reality is we always then say, well, I have to keep on doing that to keep on getting acceptance. You know, if you're the person who says, uh, they only love me because I'm beautiful, then you have to try and keep yourself beautiful all of the time. This is, I think, one of those reasons why we see the pandemic of plastic surgery. Can I maintain a particular look forever? Because this is the acceptable me. This is the me that is loved or gets likes. If likes on social media is the thing that makes us happy, then we'll always be chasing after them. And the same is true with a wrong understanding of God. If we think that we have to earn a relationship with God, then there will always be a constant number of things that we have to do to maintain our relationship. Uh, If I want him to love me, I have to keep on doing more. I have to be more. I have to offer more to maintain that approval. Uh, But the uh, author Christopher Watkins says this is what he calls an an N-shaped dynamic. That is, it starts with us, how we act. We have to do enough to make God happy. And if God is happy, then he loves uh, us again. It's a big N. Christopher Watkins says, what the gospel offers is a U-shaped dynamic. Before you were even born, God loved you and that his son died for you. And that means that you are called to be in a relationship with him and that we come offering our empty hands. Then we have the opportunity as a response of God's love for us 
to love him back and to pursue holiness. It's never starting at the bottom and earning it at the top so that he can love us back, but it starts with God. He shows us what real love is and then we can respond in kind. It's a wonderful gift from God that he loves us when we are at our most unlovable. He's the God who made you. He knows you more deeply than anybody else ever will. And he calls you into a new relationship with him. Let's thank him for that now in prayer. Let's bow our heads. Uh, Lord, we recognize that uh, even if we're not on social media, that we can all get caught up in that need for uh, likes, for acceptance, and for affirmation from the other. And we recognize how easily we can get caught into that trap of seeking that as a validation of who we are. And so we thank you, Lord, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, That we know uh, that your love for us is never bound by the things that we do to earn it. And so we pray, Lord, that you would free up our hearts and you'd free up our minds and you'd free up our hands, that we can respond to your gracious gift gift, uh, in love, in good deeds, and in sharing this good news with others. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.